Hi and welcome to the podcast, you're having tea with Alice. Thank you so much uh, for listening and sticking with me. I have taken a hiatus of a week or two while I was in Edinburgh um, doing my solo show and my talk show. I'm currently in London, kind of just drifting in the wake of what's been an incredibly intense month of comedy, uh, performing and uh, just, wow, Edinburgh. I've been writing up my fringe experiences in a fringe diary on alicecomedyfraser.tumblr.com if you want to have a look at what I've been up to uh, or follow me on Twitter at alliterative or send me an email at alicerfraser at gmail.com to catch up. I've also now sort of folded and done a Facebook person page because I had a slightly strange experience during the fringe um, just with the lines of... of, of personal versus public persona being slightly crossed um so i've popped up a facebook page if you want to um, follow that i'll try and figure out how to use it in a, in a, a helpful and non-spammy way i'm going to do a show of savage in london sometime in the next week or so i had locked in a space and a date but it exploded not actually exploded the venue received a noise complaint uh, from a couple of weeks ago and so they've decided not to run late shows anymore. Not information you need to know. Never mind. Anyway, that's what's been stressing me out this morning. But I decided I'd put up this podcast because it's a really interesting one. I spoke to this incredible woman, Winnie M. Lee. She is a connection of Tiff Stevenson's um, and she ran a consent festival in London recently and I'm speaking to her about rape and consent and it's a heavy topic. Um, we're in a cafe in Edinburgh and we had some interesting looks from the waitress during the course of it. Um, uh, the first 10 seconds are slightly uh, background noisy but then it gets a lot better um, thanks to my Zoom. Hooray for my Zoom. Hooray for my Patreon supporters. Hooray for my listeners. Thank you so much for coming uh, to this podcast. I know the internet is a mysterious place and I don't know how you got to it, but I'm glad that you did. All right, I'll leave you to listen to this conversation. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as or probably more than I enjoyed having it because it was a delicate conversation to have and I wanted to get it right Um, as far as talking about difficult issues without being insensitive or weird. Um, Anyway, that's it for now for me. I'll see you next week, regular podcasts ensue as normal you are having tea with Alice anyway I'm giving you my concerns (laughs) consent being important Um, do you want to introduce yourself and say what it is that you do and and Yeah, my name is Winnie M. Lee. I am a writer and producer, so I originally worked as a film producer, and more recently I've I've turned to writing, I guess, as my art form, so I'm finishing a novel now, and I also write short plays and other bits of columns for the Huffington Post, Um, and I also produce um, arts festivals, so I recently co-founded the Clear Lines Festival, which is the UK's first festival uh, exploring sexual assault and consent or talking about the issue of sexual assault and consent through the arts and discussion. And you did it with different, through different mediums. 
Yeah, so different art forms. We kind of had we had a comedy night and a theater night and a stand up uh, and, a, and a spoken word night and a film screening night where we screened two different documentary films about the issue and have the filmmakers come in. And then we also had visual arts. So we had a whole um, quite vibrant um, panel discussion um, program. So we had different panel discussions addressing different issues um, about uh, about sexual assault and consent. So there was a panel on what men can do to help with the topic and one about how do you talk to children about sexual abuse. There's another panel and kind of the legal and um, police procedural aspects of, of the crime. So tried to balance the arts with um, more kind of heavy discussion. Yeah, it's interesting. I uh, had a friend, have a friend, who had uh, a, an incident where one of his children was uh, borderline sexually assaulted. Um, and one of the things that he immediately sort of called the counsellors and everything like that. And one of the things that he was surprised about was that they said, you really shouldn't make it a big deal. It's, it's often the kind of the post-trauma therapy stuff that will damage a child because the child doesn't know that it's wrong yeah. uh, and doesn't know that the situation was anything other than a bit weird yeah. until and unless you come in and go, oh, my God, oh, my God, you've been ruined yeah. or you've yeah. been damaged by this yeah yeah I mean it's obviously I don't know that particular that particular situation um, but I mean I know for myself you know I'm a survivor of uh, quite violent rape that happened seven years ago um, I was walking through a park in the middle of the day and a 15 um, year old boy approached me and um, just attacked me after a few minutes of conversation um, yeah, and I had 39 separate injuries uh, afterwards, and it, it was like an hour. Um, it was it was like maybe a 30 minute assault, but it was it was long. It felt like forever. And um, yeah, and uh, one thing that I distinctly remember was listening to a, a radio um, show two days later, where different members of the community were calling into this radio talk show. So my assault was quite heavily publicized because the police did a call out. And it was this very, um, it was, you know, it was this, it was this very kind of lurid reporting of, of the crime where, you know, Chinese tourists, I am Chinese American, Chinese tourists raped in a park by a 15-year-old boy or raped in a park by a teenage boy. Um, so it was kind of, it was all over the news. Um, so, I, so basically it was the subject of this uh, radio talk show two days later. And I remember I was back in my flat in London, the attack happened in Belfast, and I just remember... Uh, like tuning in and listening to this radio show, where there was an entire radio show where they were talking about my rape, which was really weird. Um, and then there was a woman who called in and she said, "Oh, you know that that wee Chinese girl, like her whole life is now ruined." And and I just remember thinking, "That's weird. I mean, she doesn't know me, but like, you can't have a stranger. Uh, you know, straight a stranger has just told me my life is ruined because there's this immediate assumption that that rape is an awful thing, which of course it is, but that it permanently changes you." and you'll never recover from it, essentially, is what it's saying. So it's that kind of attitude that um, kind of really bothered me. Um, and in some ways, I was like, okay, I'm going to show that woman wrong. You know? um, so it spent, obviously, it took me a long time to recover from, from the assault. But then that was also one of the reasons I wanted to do the festival, to kind of just show that, yeah, I mean, rape is this awful thing that can happen to you but it's, you don't have to be sitting in a dark room crying for the rest of your life. Um, and it's that, that attitude of shame and silence that continues to compound the whole issue because nobody wants to talk about it and then nobody realizes how prevalent it is and nobody realizes that actually quite strong people and um, you know, quite positive people have been affected by that in the past and want to do something about it.
Yeah, it's re- it's a, that's a really interesting point because there's this tension between needing people to take it more seriously. Parti- I mean, there's, there's some people in society who don't treat it seriously enough and you need to tell them what a horrendous thing it can be. You don't... But you have, in order to tell them how bad it can be, you have to tell them how bad it is. Yeah. There's no way of saying, you know, 40% of women will, you know, be damaged for X amount of time, or 70% of women will receive this damage for X amount of time. So you just have to say it's a horrendous thing. It can, be, it can destroy a woman's life. Uh, but then that doesn't leave room for somebody for whom it is not the worst thing that's ever happened to them. It's a bad thing they got over it or it's a bad thing which will kind of bother them for a while or for the rest of their life in in the way that like a knee injury does mm. psychologically yeah. some people who it's like a spinal injury and it uh, but there's a range of differences yeah. so there's this tension between expressing the seriousness but by expressing the seriousness you make it into this monster thing that people can't yeah, think that their their lives are ruined as a result. I mean, I, I okay, it's it's certainly more than a knee injury, um, but I mean, it's but you know now I, I okay other than the fact that everything I'm doing professionally is associated with the topic, <laughs> which I hope is not going to be the case in ten years time. I mean, I I pretty much seem like a fully functioning adult, and I am, but there's a sadness about a certain period of my life, um, and I, I do know my life is permanently changed, but. You know, I suppose not for the worst, though. I mean, it's but that that is because I, I worked really hard in therapy to to um, to try to in, incorporate that and, and address it. I mean, the one phrase I, I don't like is when people say like, "Oh, you know, it's time to move on or it's time to get over it." It's like, well, it's not something you get over. I mean, like being dumped, yeah, that's awful, and you know, I, I've gone a year where I was heartbroken um, over being dumped, but that 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 is incredibly different from from somebody violating your own your own physical body without your consent. Um, so in some ways, it's not something you can just get over. You just have to accept the fact that this has happened to you and it was an awful thing and that person should get justice. But your job as a victim slash survivor is to concentrate on yourself and making yourself whole again and try and uh, somehow incorporate that new identity into who you are, you know, sadly. A lot of people are like, oh, well, this is not going to define your life. I'm like, well, it kind of has because everything I'm doing professionally is tied to it, but I don't think it's done that in a negative way. I mean, I think, you know, everything I'm trying to do, writing a novel, writing these articles, um, you know, having this festival is trying to be positive and um, trying to change things for the better and, and hopefully connect with other people that, that feel the same way. Um, yeah. Now, here's the thing. Um, the majority of rape is not the kind of rape that you experienced, exactly. is it? I mean, you kind of get the... You've got the, the full nightmare storybook, complete stranger, middle of the day, the thing that keeps women from walking around at night despite the statistical unlikelihood of, yeah. of that happening. Yeah. How does that make you feel in the kind of, I guess, if, if, if it can be said to be like a community of survivors in terms of like information and, and, and your job as... as, as um, enlightening people or, or broadening people's understanding of what actually happened? Yeah, I mean, I'm completely aware that 80% of women, at least, are um, who have experienced sexual assault, have, have it's been at the hands of somebody they've known. So I am kind of an anomaly in that sense. It's, uh, I know it, I'm aware of the fact that it makes, it makes it much easier for me to speak out, because I, I don't know this person, this person's a complete stranger. I only had to interact with this person once in my life and never again. So I don't have all these other... 
um, concerns about what are they going to think about me, what is the community going to think about me, or the family, or the people we have in common. Um, so it is much easier for me to speak out, again, also, because I had all those injuries, um, because I fit into the newspaper definition of rape, um, it was much easier for me to get um, to, to get le to see the legal um, side of things um, work out for me. So yeah, so a conviction happened. He was sentenced to eight years in prison, um, and that made it much easier for me to kind of draw a line under it and say, okay, I've done my duty or done my job as a rape victim, and <laughs> given all the evidence, he's now in jail. You know, I can now quote unquote move on. Um, and a lot of people, I mean, majority of women actually don't have the satisfaction of the conviction, so it is much harder for them to, um, to, to move on to that next phase in their life. I've just said that move on is, is the wrong phrase, and I still can't think of the right one. Um, but yeah, so I'm aware of the fact Move that forward, move maybe. Forward. That's it, move forward. Yeah, um, so it is much harder for other women to move forward, I think, because, because they don't have that conviction. But obviously, clearly, clearly many do. Um, so it is possible. Um, so I'm aware of the fact that it's easier for me to speak out, and, and I, I'm not fully representative of all, uh, of all the, the, most of the other sexual assaults out there. But I, I try to be quite vocal about that when I'm talking about the issue. Um, but then I also think, well, maybe it is kind of my duty or I have the privilege of having been a victim of stranger rape as opposed to acquaintance rape. So it's, it's a weird privilege, but it's a privilege that makes it easier for me to speak out. And therefore, I kind of have the duty for people to do that, whereas uh, for me to be able to do that, whereas other people can't. Um, they don't feel like they can have that kind of voice. So it's, it's strange, but it's also very humbling because I know there's other, everyone's like, oh, that was a horrible, it must be a horrible, but, and yeah, it was a horrible thing, but then there's people who suffer that every day from somebody in their family, and it's very humbling for me to read about those people's experiences and be like, okay, I'm much more empowered as an individual because of the circumstances of my rape as opposed to another victim's experience. Yeah, I'm going to draw a weird analogy, um, which is my... My mum dying was very difficult, but it wasn't complicated. Yeah. Like, I loved my mum very much, and she loved me, and we never f had any fights because she was sick, and so there was always that kind of duty of care and responsibility. And uh, so when she died, I was sad, but it was easy. It was easy for me because I wasn't... It wasn't complicated. I knew exactly... You know, there was no villain, but who the villain and the hero and the, like I knew the feelings that were okay and, and, and it was a very clean sense of grief. Whereas if, and I had a, a friend who, at a similar time who lost his father, who he got on with really badly. Right. Yeah. And so then there's that, you know, he hated his father. His father was violent and abusive mm -hmm. and, and so his grief was horrendous and complicated and yeah. filled with things like, satisfaction and, yeah. and and a sense of freedom and that's like that's often I think a similar thing to I mean I'm making this analogy but the, the complicated thing where you're raped by somebody you're in a relationship with yeah. or a friend or a family member who you have other feelings for than just fear and distress yeah. and the yeah. sudden shock of, of being betrayed by I guess someone who you have a social contract with but yeah. no other relationship, yeah. that yeah. sense of betrayal is not as 
explain. Yeah. No, and it's also, it's not just about, I mean, what's, what's interesting is that I think um, a lot of the public and certainly the media, they tend to fixate on the physical aspect of an assault, like what, what happened between this person's body and that person's body. And, you know, I think most, most victims, if you ask them, like the physical aspect is just like the fraction, you know, it's just a fraction of what the whole experience is to you, because it's more about the mental and the emotional and the, and the psychological um, impact of, of that physical assault. Um, and I think, but it's also not just between you and your perpetrator. A lot of it is about a lot of the, the grief and the problems and the complications come from how does the rest of society uh, going from the public, if they know about it, down to you know your acquaintances, down to your own family members. How do they handle it? So I know a lot of people who've been, uh, you know, some of the some of the most painful aspects of their own assault were telling a close friend who said like, "Are you sure that really happened?" or telling their parents who were like, well, what were you wearing, you know? Um, and just having people that you rely on not not give you the support that you really need at that point. Um, so again, it was really easy for me. I was walking through a park in the middle of the day, a random stranger attacks me, rapes me. Of course everyone's gonna be on my side. You know, of course no one's gonna think like, oh, well, what were you wearing? I was like, well, I was wearing like a long sleeve shirt and like hiking trousers, right? Nobody was ever gonna like insinuate I was asking for it. I should have been thinking I should have been smarter about the whole thing. So again, that made it a lot easier for me because I don't have all those other complications about being hurt by how other people are perceiving my experience, which I think is, is, is the main thing that a lot of the things that we need to fix about society's response to this crime is, is not obviously we need to change, we need to stop the crime from happening, but a lot of that ties into rape culture and a lot of that ties into the attitudes that people have about this crime and about the perpetrator and the victim and the responsibility of the victim. Um, and obviously, the there is no responsibility for the victim because it, it's just an outright assault against against your person, which you had no control over. Yeah. So I am um, in. This is a thing um, in terms of like from a legal perspective, rape is a sliding definition. From uh, so this is you know however long ago, not that long ago, it wasn't you could not rape a, a wife. That was it was an impossibility, or you could not rape a husband if you were married. Uh, it was implicit consent that could not be explicitly withdrawn. Uh, and so, people who had ambiguous or non-consensual sex in marriage before that time were not committing a crime; they were committing a wrong makes me think that we need to have more words than rape. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think, I don't know if this is necessarily a good thing, but there's been, obviously, this movement towards using the term sexual assault instead of rape. I think a lot of that is just because rape scares people, as a word. It's, you know, it's one syllable. It's got strong consonants in it. Uh, a lot, nobody wants to use that word. So for me, as a victim, like, minutes after my own assault, I was just like, I don't know what just happened person had left by that point and I, I realized I was in a, I was doing a hike like an 11 mile hike and I was like do I continue doing my hike like what what just happened because you don't want to really accept the fact that you've been raped right you don't want to use that word on yourself um, so I just remember calling a friend because I realized I needed medical attention and she called me and she's like how's it going I'm like yeah I'm not I'm not doing too well I um I think I've just been raped and it literally was I had to like 
think my way through this sentence because I, at the back of my mind, I knew what had happened to me, but I'm like, no, that, that doesn't happen to me. You know, like, I'm an empowered woman. I like travel the world on my own. And then it's like, no, actually that just happened to me. Um, so it's kind of like slapping that label on yourself that a lot of people don't want to do. And I've spoken to a lot of other friends who have been raped, but it's, it took months, if not years, for them to accept that that is the word they need to use. It, they, a, a lot of times they'll say like, well, something weird happened by that guy. Or, and then it goes, gets to the point where a lot of girls have something quote unquote weird happened with a guy, i.e. they've been sexually assaulted by them, and they still think they've been unfaithful to their boyfriends. You know? And then they'll tell their boyfriend, oh, I, I kind of cheated on you. So, and, so there's all these different weird filters that we apply because we don't, I think everyone's so afraid of using that word rape. So if there's other words out there, yeah, probably it'd be good to have a bigger spectrum of words, but I don't know who goes around inventing them. But you know, the term date rape only came about in the 1970s. Um, and again, it has the word rape in there. So, um, but you know, I think it, but it does describe an experience that previously didn't have terminology experiencing it. So um, I think more words are better, but I also myself don't, I don't shy away from using the word rape because I think you need the power of that word to describe what actually happened to you. Um, yeah. I think that, yeah, where, where it becomes problematic that there is only this one word and even, you know, the c compound word, things like date rape, is where the damage is not extreme, where it is the, the kind of turned angle psychologically. It was an unpleasant situation, you didn't enjoy it, and, and but it's not the worst thing that's ever happened. There was a muddy grey area and you, you, you don't feel that bad about it. But it was technically yeah. this crime that is the kind of worse than murder crime as far yeah. as like our weird society treats women's virtue as more important than their lives, yeah. that, that's in our cultural history, so you can't kind of strip that away. So, yeah. And then they don't report something that was in fact a wrong and yeah. a crime yeah. because they don't want to ruin this young man's life or yeah. because, the, because they don't feel like the, the harm was so great. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I know a lot of, I mean, quite a few of my female friends have since said things like, oh, well, you know, when I first lost my virginity when I was 15, I didn't really want it to happen. Like, I was at a party, I was drunk, and there was this guy, and we started kissing, and then it, it got more it got more advanced than I wanted to. But, but that wasn't rape, you know? And, and so they, they'll pass it off that way, and I'm like, okay, I mean, you, these people are all, you know, much older now and, and seem fairly well-adjusted. Yeah. Yeah. So then, but that's, that's, oh, that's a difficult thing, because yeah. on one hand, Okay, if it's correlated with rates of lower sexual assault, then let's do it because then we're, we're helping this not happen. Yeah, yeah. But by saying that, there's this implicit suggestion that then women do have a responsibility and women who are not mm -hmm. assertive enough yeah. are to blame for being attacked or harassed or assaulted, which is yeah. not an idea that I'm comfortable with, surely. Like, yeah, I mean, I think assertiveness training is certainly useful in the same way that you know self-defense training is useful to have as a woman. But I, I took self-defense courses and none of that kicked in during my assault because I was so taken by surprise. Um, so yeah, well, on one hand, yeah, you can you can educate yourself as much as you want and train yourself as much as you want as a potential future victim to prevent yourself from being a victim. But then there's the whole other side of training that needs to be happening, which is educating men about communicating more, educating boys about communicating more, and about about the importance of actually like developing an emotional bond with the person that you're going to be physically intimate with, and and and, and that it's not it's not a race, it's not like a contest to see how many girls you can bag. Um, but there there's this whole other aspect to sexuality, and I, I don't know if 
So it, so it's kind of it needs to be balanced. I think assertiveness training is always good for girls and for women, but then I also think you need sensitivity or communication training for for boys and men. Um, so it's it's an at the end of the day, it's an equal responsibility by society. I mean, when it comes to the actual act of sexual assault, yeah, I mean, the responsibility lies with the perpetrator to not do that. But I think it is in women and girls' interests to have to be assertive anyway um, in in anything you do, really. It's a it's a it's a, a knotty issue, yeah. I think. Um, definitely teaching boys uh, what it I- what it is in terms of the impact yeah. is really important. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I don't I don't know if guys are aware of that. I mean, I've certainly been in situations where I've been. Uh, you know, where I've been with guy friends and then something started to happen, maybe because we were both drunk and I, I didn't really want it to happen, but I was like, oh, well, they're a friend of mine, so I feel rude shutting <laughs> them down. <laughs> and then I'm like, I don't really want this to be happening. And then, but, you know, and I was in one situation where I ended up crying in the middle of, like, everything because I'm like, I don't want this to be happening. And, uh, and he clearly thought I'd been, like, sexually abused as a child or something, but it was actually just the fact, and this was obviously before my own rape, but it was just the fact that I actually had let a line be crossed because I didn't want to be rude. Um, which, and again, speaking to some of my other girlfriends, like, you no, know, that happens all the time. You know, I, you know, I'm with a guy and we're just friends, but then something happens and I, you know, I don't want to shut them down. And, and so there's this whole weird, mis- unspoken thing about um, being in these kinds of relationships or platonic friendships that suddenly aren't platonic because everyone's drunk. And those kinds of st- sticky, quote unquote, sticky situations that you end up in. Um, and I think those things are worth talking about also because, uh, you know, that doesn't, that's not sexual assault per se, but that is about consent and it's about your own assertiveness and about men being aware of the fact that, you know, this consent needs to be spoken about more, more openly. It's not just a matter of everyone being drunk and then this happening. Yeah, yeah, that I think is the one, that's the big fear for men particularly is that they won't know that they're traumatizing a yeah. woman because the quote natural uh, course of events is for the man to be pushy and the woman to um, draw the lines and uh, until she says no it's green lights anything other than a red light is a green light Um, and then you end up in as you say in these situations where there's no uh, the woman doesn't say no Uh, she may even be participating and so the guy doesn't know what he's actually doing. Yeah. And that's horrifying thought for, you know, if I were a guy, I'd be horrified by the possibility of that and I would probably err massively on the side of like, how's this? Is this okay? What about this? Like, you know, I would, yeah. I would feel just so afraid that, oh, that I would end up hurting somebody. Yeah. Um, but I see no harm in, in people being more aware of that and being more sensitive about that and then checking in to see if, if people are, you know, if, if your partner is, is actually okay with this. I mean, somebody said uh, something quite funny, which is like, well, how about, how about looking for more than just consent? How about, like, enthusiasm? You know, <laughs> because, uh, you know, if you really think about it, like, you know, it, sex isn't really that much fun. It maybe for other people it is, but, you know, the, the interesting thing, maybe enjoyable thing about sex is that both people want it to be happening and that it is enthusiastic and it is, you know, something that they're both equally participating in. Yeah. Um, I used to do a joke about that where I'd 
uh, I can't even remember how it was funny. <laughs> I can remember the logic of it rather than the humor of it, uh, which was um, if she is doing the playing hard to get thing, if she's playing the game, mm. that game where you, she wants you to push and, and then she backs off and backs off and backs off and you push and push and push and that makes her feel desirable and special, you should punish that behavior by not having sex with it. Like, you shouldn't be encouraging that behavior. You shouldn't be encouraging someone to manipulate you like that and to, because it's her behaving like that, even if her consent is displayed by ambivalence, even if her enthusiasm and encouragement is displayed by ambivalence, that's a mixed signal that you don't want to encourage. Because some other guy is going to read actual ambivalence as a go signal and she's contributing to that culture as much as any man is she's contributing to that rape culture where anything but no means yes yeah yeah and then there's this whole kind of evolutionary slash biological argument that some people have which goes all the way into kind of like dating dating tips like the rules are and they're all like oh well men like biologically need to be the pursuer and the aggressor. So as a woman, your dating tip is to soar the play hard to get or not always be available, et cetera, et cetera. You know, which is, you know, that, that's problematic anyway. But, but a lot of people just revert to this, this evolutionary kind of argument like, oh, you know, men, men need to be aggress- aggressive because that, that is how they spread their seed. You know, that, that is the biology of being a, a, a human male. And it's like, well, I mean, I think we've, we have progressed beyond that. Like, we've invented computers, you know, like we don't need to be, you know. So we, we live in, a, in, a, in an era of communication. So why don't we use communication to, to sort of move beyond the, that? Yeah, bi- I mean, biologically, we're meant to kill anyone who's different from us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, so I, you know, that whole, yeah, I, I just get, I get quite annoyed with that. Where like, oh, it's men's biology to be the aggressor and women's biology to, you know. Sure, it's also uh, our biology to find different races frightening, and mm. you don't use that as an excuse for racism. Yeah. The fact that biologically we don't like things that are different, and we see them as threats, and we have an instinctive reaction against them should be something that we are aware of so that we can counter it. Not so we're like, oh, well, I guess that's just how I'm going to feel about black people from now on because there's an instinct in me that says different is bad. (laughs) You go, oh, okay, I'm going to have a a reaction to people who look differently from me if, if they have disabilities or if they are, you know, genetically different or if they're whatever, if they and they dress differently or they have a different accent, I'm going to have a reaction of mistrust and I will counter that reaction because I know it's just an evolutionary thing. And in the same way, yeah. I'm gonna have this temptation to like play hard to get. I am going to counter that and think about what I actually want from this situation and examine my own motives for behaving in this way and, and then talk to the guy about them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, biologically, I guess I'm supposed to be having kids by the age of 15 or like we're all, you know, we all should be having, you know, five or six kids by now at this point in our lives, but you know, uh, do we really want that to be happening? No, I think we've reached a point in our civilization where, you know, you can have kids a little bit later and explore yourself, you know, intellectually before then, um, before you, you know, start to have kids. So, uh, you know, it's just, uh, the whole biological argument is just, it's just annoying because, you know, we, we now reach a point in our civilization where there's so much more things we can do with our mind and, you know, with, with just our bodies in terms of where we can travel in the world and the things we can explore and, and how we can enlighten our, and enrich our lives. Um, that you can't just go back now and say like, oh, well, our ancestors were doing this millennia ago, so 
yeah, men are going to want to rape, or yeah, women are going to want to be popping out babies at the age of 15. There's this great uh, guy, he's a linguist, and I, his name is Dr. Wolf, I can't remember his first name, and he posits the theory uh, that the fact that, he, I mean, he believes that the human mind is not evolved to do language. Language is basically a hack. We kind of have signals and pattern recognition. Evolutionarily, that's all we have. Like if you put a human in a box and bring it up with eight other humans, they're not necessarily going to develop a language. Or they'll develop some communication, but they won't develop English or French or Italian or Korean or anything, Finnish or Hungarian. They will uh, figure something out. But that we have these circuits, pattern recognition, communication, uh, you know, group dynamics and we've hacked them into language and that shows that the human mind can go beyond itself yeah yeah absolutely i mean i think yeah i think we should i mean i think we should just like be sitting back and looking at the fact that there's these like these giant buildings that we built we have this technological device i'm speaking into that allows people around the world if they want to listen to this and you know and we our civilizations it's pretty incredible in terms of how far we've come um, in terms of how, and in terms of how we understand and perceive the world, but at the same time, when it comes back down to the, the biology of human bodies, people don't want to talk about things and don't want to talk about things that could happen between people's bodies and how that's tied into things that aren't spoken. That, 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 how that's tied into this culture of things not being spoken about. I don't know what that statement just meant. Basically, <laughs> um, I need to think that one through a bit more, but. I guess that is the point of Tea with Alice. I think you have to go off to a show now. Um, so uh, I would like to say thank you. How can people find you on the internet? And also, what tea are you drinking? So I'm drinking Earl Grey tea. My standard is Earl Grey with soy milk because I'm lactose intolerant. Uh, but um, yeah, you can find me at my Twitter handle is at Winnie M. Lee. Winnie is a Pooh, M for mother, L I. I'm not mother, but I always just say I'm for mother. Um, and then my, um, my website is winniemily.com. So, yeah. Brilliant. Thank you for talking with me. You are having tea with Alice.